Hello, and welcome to The Bible and Culture, a podcast that combines a life-shaping study of the scriptures, the authentic ministry of Christian poetry, and practical observations of our culture. I'm Vernon L. Harper, minister, poet, and author. Join me in exploring content that builds the Christian life, equips the Christian poet, and explores issues important to us all. Thank you for tuning in, and God bless. Our theme for the remainder of our 2020 broadcast schedule is entitled Mercy, Judgment, and Purpose. Today's episode is entitled The Glory of God and reminds us of God's absolute authority over all of creation, including all of humanity. The Western idea of freedom of the individual has morphed into the idea that we owe allegiance to nothing. Any authority beyond our own that claims to speak into our lives is rejected out of hand. This message is designed to remind us who God is, separate from who we think he is. The poem of this episode is part 10 from a 10-part poem called Thoughts and Rumination. Each of the 10 parts explores a different observation or idea of the Christian life. Part 10 explores God's existence being separate from and not dependent on human beliefs. Thoughts and Ruminations appears in my book of Christian poetry titled Christian Poems and Other Radical Explorations, and is available on Amazon. Buy it to read this and other poems featured on the podcast. There is a more detailed examination of this poem on our HDIF Patreon page. Now on to the episode. Part 10 thoughts and ruminations. See our God. He is laughing loudly. He is laughing in heaven and he is also here on earth. The nations are very angry. They are so angry that they point their water guns at God and squeeze the trigger. He laughs even more. The nations go into a rage. They call our God rude. They say that to laugh while someone is trying to disbelieve you is extremely impolite. They threaten to disbelieve him more and also to shoot him again with their water guns. This makes God hysterical. He almost doubles over with laughter. The nations have imagined a vain thing. They have imagined that to disbelieve God is to make him not exist. So they wave their water guns violently and disbelieve harder. This makes God slap his knee and vibrate laughing. Our God is laughing. Our God who longs to be their God is laughing. Our God is laughing to keep from crying. The title for today's episode is The Glory of the Lord. And today's scripture is found in Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. And it reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In this scripture, we are given a peek beyond the earthly veil into the spiritual realm. Here we witness the calling of God's prophet Isaiah and a theophany. A theophany is a visual representation and manifestation of God's presence to humanity. God is invisible and cannot be seen by any human. You can find this truth of our invisible God in many scriptures, including John 4 and 12. God's invisibility is not like in the movie, The Invisible Man. It is not just that God is invisible to the naked eye. It is that his nature is so beyond our ability to comprehend and his holiness is so elevated that we lack the ability to perceive or even survive God fully revealed. So when God wants to reveal himself, he does so through an appropriate representation of himself. God appears in such a way to get his message across even before he speaks. God spoke to proud Job out of the whirlwind. God appeared to the humble Moses as a burning bush. In our scripture today, God appears to Isaiah in all his majesty. The reason for this is Isaiah had lived through the mighty King Uzziah's reign. King Uzziah was one of the great kings of Judah. In, the, in Second Chronicles, the 26th chapter, we are told he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And God was with him to subdue the Philistines and other adversaries of Judah. He built towers in Jerusalem and experienced success in multiple endeavors as God helped him as king. But that success led King Uzziah to become prideful and he burnt incense in the temple when that was the job of God's priest. And as he refused and ignored the priest as they warned him not to overstep into their role, God struck him with leprosy for his prideful act. Isaiah, of course, was aware of this and having witnessed the fall of their great leader, would be concerned for Judah's future and have questions about God's seemingly lack of mercy for a king that had served him faithfully for so many years. After all, was it worth ending Uzziah's reign? Couldn't God have punished Uzziah for a time and then let him continue defending Judah as king? So God appears to Isaiah in all his majesty to make two very important points. Number one, God is the supreme ruler of the universe, and even the angels that serve him are holy, exalted, and unapproachable in nature. God can do whatever he wills to do, and there is no authority worthy to question him. Number two, God is the true leader of Judah and the entire world, and it is by his majesty and will that Judah would rise or fall. It doesn't matter who the king is. God is the God of the universe. Isaiah was so overcome with this majesty of the theophany of God that he immediately became aware of his own sin and unworthiness. Isaiah was convinced that he would die because a lowly human such as himself of unclean speech had dared look upon the majesty. The first lesson we should take from this is the more we know God, the less we think of ourselves. Whether it is the Pharisees of Jesus' day or prideful Christians of today, the more you think of yourself, the less you know God. And the more you know God, the less you think of yourself. This is especially true of the culture we live in today. We no longer believe in any authority beyond our own sensual nature. If we feel we are right, then no one should be able to tell us what to do. 
We have become self-centered and selfish and anything or anyone who stands in the way of our own choice will not be tolerated. We can see this central nature displayed in our politics, social interactions and cultural norms. If someone disagrees with us, there is no room for compromise, but that person becomes an enemy. As we become more and more sensual as a culture, we will not tolerate anyone who opposes what we feel. We will also increasingly not tolerate any authority greater than our own. We will live accordingly to what we feel like doing with no regard with how it affects anyone else or even the known facts. We are all entitled to our own opinion, but a sensual nature feels like it is entitled to its own facts. If those false facts allow us to do what we feel. This is the essence of a sensual nature, living according to how you feel with no consideration for any greater authority over our actions. We are seeing an example of this playing out right now. Think about it. We train our children to cover their mouths when they cough or sneeze, but we will not cover our own mouth with a mask during a pandemic simply because we must refuse anyone who seems to be exercising authority over us. If we do not feel like keeping others safe, who are you to tell me that I must? This is a spirit of rebellion and it is tied directly to our central nature's need to do whatever we feel. The reason why populist atheism and a weakened form of Christian faith is growing so rapidly is we reject the very premise of a higher authority. Our Christian faith is increasingly becoming about achieving things we desire out of life and less of living in obedience to a majestic Lord Jesus. Jesus, for many of us, died so that we can get what we want. Jesus is a cross between a self-help guru and Santa Claus, helping us aspire to a happy, fulfilled life of achieving and doing what we want and getting the possessions that we feel we should have. This is not Christian faith. The second lesson we should take from Isaiah's reaction is God's mercy does not change his majesty. Let me say that one more time. God's mercy does not change his majesty. Yes, God forgives our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's Matthew 6 and 12. God's mercy endures forever. Psalms 136. God became flesh and sacrificed his son so that anyone can have everlasting life. That's John 3:16. But this does not mean that God is not worthy of our reverence because there is very little that garners respect in our culture. We have become overcomfortable with not acknowledging the majesty of God. We stand in a courtroom when a judge enters because we are forced to give deference to the law. We may choose to show deference when we feel like it, like a, at a wedding, but we as a culture show deference less and less if it is not convenient for us or something we feel like doing. It is amazing to me how often no one will surrender a seat to a senior citizen or a pregnant woman on public transportation. Because we have become a culture who feels like we owe deference to nothing, we have extended that cavalier attitude to God. This has led to a culture who is far more comfortable praising God than worshiping God. Praising God gives thanks for what he has done for us. Now, this is a good thing. We should always give thanks for what God has done, is doing and will do for us. But worship is exalting God's name for who he is separate from anything he has done. 
God is yet God if he never lifts a finger or gives us a glance. God's majesty exists beyond any relationship with us. Yes, it is good to praise God for what he has done, but the more you know him, the more you can worship him for who he is. The third and final point I will make is that when we approach God, we should do it in the knowledge of his majesty. We as Christians, more than any of the prophets of old, approach God in an intimate spiritual relationship. We should give God deference in what we do. In James 4.15, the apostle admonishes us to acknowledge God even in our everyday plans. When we come to church, do we treat the house of God like a cafe or a movie theater? Or do we treat it like we are approaching the living God creator of heaven and earth and all mankind? When we treat the word of God like it is a suggestion and not the very word of him whose train of majesty filled the temple, it is a mistake. I could say more about this, but instead I will leave you with the words of the one who for my money said it best. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, 18 to 24, warns the Hebrews against sin and then goes on to describe who they approach when they partake of God's mercy and goodness. He contrasts the Old Testament approach to God's majesty to our approach of God's majesty. This contrast shows us that though we partake of God's generous mercy, our approach should be marked by even more respect, deference and submission to the living God. Hebrews 12, 18 through 24 reads, For you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with joy, fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We worship and praise you here and now. We say our hallelujah because you are worthy. We lift up our hands and we worship you. 
We thank you for all that you've done. Continue to teach us and show us who you are. And though we receive your mercy, and though you are with us as a friend, you are still the majestic, mighty God, and due of all our respect and worship. We thank you for blessing us as we do this, and we thank you for all the benefits and blessings that come when we acknowledge and worship who you are. We thank you for all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I hope you were blessed by this week's episode of The Bible and Culture. If you were, share this episode on social media and look us up on our HDIF Patreon page. HDIF on Patreon is where we have bonus episodes, the ability to chat, and the rest of our pastoral ministry. Thank you and God bless. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and presents you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.